Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured or nostalgic piece of cinema. That's right. You think this is nostalgic? Absolutely is. Yeah. I guess it doesn't feel like nostalgia is not the word that comes up for me because it is not nostalgic for a time in which I've been alive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the historic. It, I mean, I was. Gonna, it's not quite. His, I mean, it's historic in two ways. Right. The focus of one of our main characters, but also this film is shot as though it is from the 1970s. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess that's fine. I was gonna say nostalgic in terms of like a lot of the films that I grew up watching as a lover of films. Okay. Um. It references those. So. Like yeah. Dead Poet Society? Uh, sure, in, in context. We'll, we'll get into it more, but some of the ones that they used for influences of the film were okay. uh, films like The Graduate, mm-hmm. The Landlord, Harold and Maude, The Last Detail, Clute, Paper Moon, and All the President's Men. So you see a lot of things like zooms, mm. uh, zoom pans, where you like zoom out and pan across this, you know, as somebody's moving. Um, you see a lot of like uh, the editing style is like you fade in from... Um, or dissolve, excuse me, dissolve from one shot to another. Okay. Um, so yeah, or there's, I think there was even a wipe edit or a pan edit in one of these. So yeah, it's just, just styles of like the 1970s basically. Okay. All right. Um, I feel like the, sometimes when you talk about film, I, I get the, the sense that I should go back and watch the film again <laughs> because none of that registers sure. to me when I'm watching the movie. I yeah. Mean, I'm just watching it for the plot, the, yeah. the story, the enjoyment yeah. of the experience, as opposed to really marking the kinds of uh, shots or or whatever. Although there was one moment mm-hmm. when I said, "Is that a Dutch angle?" and you said, "Yes." Yep. Yep. So so I, I I'm learning. Yeah. Well, and so some <laughs> things some things obviously easier to spot than others because they right. they are not used regularly, or when they are used, they're intended to draw attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, some some are just like you've seen enough films from an era and you recognize the tropes of how people shot movies. And so, yeah, you you pick up on it when you see it. I will also say this is the second time I've seen the movie. So easier for me to focus on those kinds of things right, right. than it would be the first time where I'm much like you. I'm just trying to figure out what the characters are about, who, what the plot is, you know, enjoying the scenery, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Gotcha. Cool. Well, yeah, so we are, I mean, <laughs> obviously... Um, we haven't even said the name of the movie, but and if we never will. No, just kidding. <laughs> if you've read the title on your yeah. podcast player, we are covering the film The Holdovers, nominated for five Academy Awards this year, including mm-hmm. Best Picture. That's right. Yeah. Does uh, Giamatti get a, a nom? He does. All right. Yes. So it's also nominated for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Editing. So. A couple interesting notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Best Supporting Actress, Divine Joy Randolph is almost a guaranteed lock. She is going to win the Academy Award this year, so good for her. Why do you say that? Um, it is a um, aus- uh, inauspicious <laughs> cast that she is competing with. It's not a great year for the Supporting Actress category. Okay. Um, largely because the, the films that uh, were big had Best Actress nominees there were many and several of those in fact some of whom were quote-unquote snubbed Mm -hmm. like margot roby but they didn't all have great uh supporting actress 
options. Okay. So it's why you see like, I mean, I think Jodie Foster was quite good in Niad, but nobody really saw that movie, even though it's on Netflix. Um, I think America Ferrera was like kind of a surprise to be in Best Supporting Actress because um, Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig didn't get nominated in their uh, respective categories. Right. And so it's like, well, if if Barbie is so strong that they're getting a Supporting Actress nom, you would assume they would get director and an actress as well. Mm-hmm. But it's really just because there weren't that many roles for the Supporting Actress category to, to choose from. Mm-hmm. So... Divine Joy Randolph in this movie is is won all of the precursors. So well, she's tremendous, quite good, yeah, and w- well deserved. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into it more, but that's that's interesting. Yeah. Well, good, good. I'm glad that she got a nomination. I went into the, I mean, you know how my memory is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also wasn't poring over the spreadsheet that you put together, <laughs> um, which I appreciate Thank very you. much about you as a person. Um, but I, I, I did not commit it to memory yeah, yeah. and so um truly i wasn't sure what the nominations were other than best picture for yep. for this film as we were going into it and i had the the thought as we were watching it that i hope that she did get nominated because she is fantastic in it. yeah and paul giamatti also nominated um he is going up against killian murphy and the oppenheimer machine mm. um it is an interesting thing to think about because in the Golden Globes, the holdovers was in the best musical or comedy category. Okay. Oppenheimer was in drama. Killian Murphy won best actor for a drama. And Paul Giamatti won best actor for uh comedy or musical. And so this is a comedy. So okay, we'll get into that. We can't just go okay. dive right, right in all the Piccadillas right. right now. <laughs> but um yeah, so the 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 Oscar race for best actor comes mm-hmm. down to Giamatti. For the holdovers or Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, both movies we're going to cover mm-hmm. uh, before the Oscars, and so I I think right now Killian Murphy is still the odds-on favorite, mm-hmm. but we don't know how these things shift, right? You know, so yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? Let's we've go been, ahead. We've and, been talking about yeah. this a lot, and we haven't even gotten into the story yeah. of the week. But you know what? We're setting the stage, right? That's this is all true. about the Oscar race. It's all about these films that we want to, you know, revel in a little more. So uh, I'm happy to talk about it, but you're right. Let's dive into the news of the week. All right. As much of the country and Europe are coming out of dangerously cold winter weather, Alaska is shaping up to experience its snowiest winter ever with Anchorage hitting its earliest record of 100 inches of snowfall for the season this past week. Hmm. I think that uh, it's a bummer that we can't get some of that here. (laughs) Our our kids would love a snow day. (laughs) I, I, every year that passes, this is the second year in a row, I guess, um, that we don't get snow. Mm -hmm. I have the, the nagging sinking feeling in my heart that, we're not going to ever see it again. We will never see snow again. Yeah. In this particular area, I think that the the cold temperature required mm-hmm. for a snowfall in North Carolina, with the exception of like obviously there's the once in 20 year snowstorm that will come through Everywhere. a lot of places. Yeah. Texas, Florida has it has right. had it, but like with the exception of those like very rare instances, it feels like the the days of um regular snowfall yeah. in in our area, yeah. at least, are, are over. Yeah, we we can get cold weather, but it's dry cold weather. Yeah, or we can get 
moist weather, but it's warm moist weather. We don't right. tend to get that combination anymore. Although we'll see, maybe we'll sneak some in in February. Not if the groundhog has anything to say about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Groundhog Day um, today that we're recording. So I guess we're one day in the past relative to all of y'all listeners out there. Yeah, we're actually recording later than normal because we've been uh, struck by the plague that would have decimated uh, the mighty Roman army. But I, yeah, I, I, I made a joke about this on threads the other day, but it just, it truly, you just, you see these emails coming in from daycare of one devastating illness mm -hmm. after another that's circulating over there. Yeah. And knowing that our child every single day is just a little taxi driving yeah. these into our house. Yeah. And um, he loves hugs and kisses. <laughs> it's not on you. <laughs> And um, it's covering and us, got in a, us in a blanket of snot, almost like snow has covered Alaska, getting us back to the news. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, we've both been absolutely destroyed this week by by illness. Yeah. So this is a late recording for us. Uh, but yeah, no, um, Alaska covered covered in snow. Anchorage specifically um, hit 100 inches of snow mm -hmm. this past week, which does not happen um, every season, but it's 100 inches for the season. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot, and it's the earliest time um, on February third that they've ever hit that record. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So there, there have this is the ninth winter to to pass a hundred inches. Huh. Okay. In Anchorage, um, and it is the second time that there have been back to back one hundred inch or more yeah. winter seasons. Is this is this like a big thing for them in terms of like infrastructure and, and all that stuff? Like are they having issues with it or are they prepared? So that's a good question. Um they are pretty much prepared, but they're I mean it's still it's it's extreme weather, right? Yeah, this is only yeah. the ninth time that they've had quite this much. Totally. Um they this November was the snowiest on record. This December was the third snowiest on record, and this January was the seventh snowiest on record. Huh. So they've had just very extreme snow weather, yeah. um, sort of back to back to back for three months straight. And um, and so as a result, they've closed schools, which is not unheard of there. But obviously, if you're closing schools because of weather or snow, snow weather yeah. in Alaska, like it must be intense a, yeah. outside of the the norm um and there is cleanup that's expected through this weekend uh and and but they have had several instances of of roofs collapsing yeah. in in the area so you know it's not unheard sure. of and and i think that you know one person was saying that they were essentially seeing the snow they're like we can handle this and then it just gets to a point where you're like oh we might not be able to handle yeah this yeah, yeah. well i bet greg and his snow machines are loving it who what sarah palin's husband you didn't remember his name was Greg, did you? No. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that's in my brain. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a diseased person. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, there's a, an image uh, that I found in one of the articles that I was reading about this is where this a person created a 20-foot snowman out of the snow that was in their their yard area, just for you to have a reference of what that would look like. So this is in the show notes oh, wow. in one of the articles. But wow. Um, relative to the person, the person does not come up to the first button at the bottom of this snowman's uh, lapel. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. Uh, and sorry, Greg, your name, you're not Greg, it's Todd. His name is Todd. Todd. Yeah. yeah. I was like, his name's not Greg. But also, are they still married? 
I don't think so. She doesn't strike me as a person who stays married. Cares about the sanctity of marriage when it comes to herself. No, no. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. So, so, anyways, um, yeah, it's 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 uh, really really snowy. Uh, they've actually had so um a uh, hundred and four point three inches of snow measured in Anchorage, um, and that was after a fresh 16 and a half inches or so fell this past Sunday to Monday. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. And so far uh, with that 104.3 inches, they have reached more than twice the average uh, snowfall to date. Oh, wow. Uh, like up to this day, the average is around 50 inches. Okay. And the snowfall total is already at least two feet more than average for the whole season. Typically. Wow. Um, so there's some good skiing up there? <laughs> I you know, I don't know anything about the skiing, but um it, in case you were wondering, uh yes, this is because of climate change. Okay, thanks. Yep. I <laughs> I am sure that Republicans in Alaska will be like, "See, there's no climate change. Look at all the snow." Uh, yeah. Well, so the problem is that yes, there is snow, but it is also still warmer there than average. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of the op- like the continuation of what's happening here where we got a little bit warmer so we're not seeing the snow when there's moisture around. There they got a little bit warmer so they're seeing more moisture, which is creating more snow. Yeah, they're having okay. a lot more moisture. Um and so not only are they having the moisture, but they're also having these like sort of wild swings of mm. having a lot of snow mm-hmm. and then a lot of melting, which is leading to a lot of flooding. flooding yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, so Juno went from 36 inches of snow on the ground um, to an influx of warm air that led to um, record melting and only one inch of snow on the ground like within a week. Wow. Also 2007 Academy Award uh, nominee for Best Picture. Nope. Different kind of, different spelling of Juno. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, But basically seven of Anchorage's top 15 wettest winters have been since 2011 to, uh, since the 2011-2012 season. Okay. And um, despite the historic snow, temperature, temperatures have been warmer than average um, with mixtures of those cold periods. So it's, it's the, the temperatures are still rising. It's just, cre- I think that they're, it, what it seems like is that they're in just this period where, uh, it's warm and it's just right for right. snow. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know how, when we used to live in New York and if it gets too cold, like you're just not going to have snow. Of course. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, it's the same thing, right? Like you you get the cold weather from the North, from Canada, it comes dry. Right. And so you're not getting snow off of that. You have to have warmer weather, but just not so warm that it's above freezing. Right. Right. And as it is, um, the, the November was the state's warmest November on record. Ooh, that's, uh, sounds bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh no, it's, it's not good. Remember when I said it was the snowiest on record, also the warmest on record. And since 1980, this is our, my last like terrible. Okay stat about this (laughs) not for now hey that's the fun thing about climate change Uh it's the worst one we've had so far Uh uh-huh yeah since 1980 the average wintertime temperatures are up by about five degrees in anchorage jesus christ and about four degrees in juno and fairbanks my god yeah okay Mm -hmm. 
we're not doing great, guys. Not no. doing good in this planet. No. Ours. It's like, good news. There's a lot of snow. Bad news. It melts really quickly and floods everything. Yeah. It doesn't become a, like the ice that you need it to be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so anyways, um, the, there's a lot of snow. Yeah. Much like. Much like in our film, The Holdover. Sorry. <laughs> I was I was literally locked in existential dread there for a second. So I've, my segue was way off. <laughs> but yeah, it snowed in The Holdovers, you guys. <laughs> so uh, for those of you who haven't seen it and it's still on your list, by the way, it is available now on Peacock to stream. Mm-hmm. So if you subscribe to that service, you can get it. Um, this is a film about a uh, young boy at a prep school. Uh, by the name of, I always forget his name, Angus Tully, mm-hmm. uh, who is a little bit of a, a little bit of a bastard, but a very smart kid. Um, and his teacher, Paul Hunnam, uh, played by Paul Giamatti, who are staying behind at the boarding school at which they uh, study and work, respectively, mm-hmm. for the Christmas holiday. They're being held over. Uh, and in addition to those two, they are joined by Divine Joy Randolph's character, uh, Mary Lamb, who is the basically the the person who works in the kitchen, right. and she she seems like the kitchen manager because you see her in right. other scenes where she's telling other people how to do things in the kitchen. That's right. When they have the full staff there, um, she is in charge. Um, when she is there by herself, she is the one preparing their meals. That's right. Um, and so they are basically a a group of three unlikely friends or uh, become friends. Compatriots? Uh, compatriots, uh, yeah. Lock, <laughs> locked in cellmates, maybe. Right. Um, who are stuck in this situation for basically two weeks. Right. Um, and hilarity ensues. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't actually say hilarity. It's there. There is a- It was pretty funny when that guy fell off of the pommel horse. Yes. <laughs> that was very funny. Um, and, and dislocates his shoulder and starts- Spoiler? Screaming. Eh, so we yeah we're gonna spoil it as we do with all the movies not intentionally but just you know, we're, we're gonna ta- talk we're talking about, about the it. movie yeah so first thing to note this is the on-screen debut of the actor who plays Angus Tully Dominic Sessa uh, so he had only ever acted in stage plays at his alma mater which is Deerfield Academy in Deerfield Massachusetts by the is, way is that a high school uh, yes okay some of uh, this film was shot at Deerfield Academy. <laughs> so he go, he he has only ever attended a prep school. Uh, I don't know if it's a prep school or not. I don't oh, okay. know about that, but um, he he was in acting classes at that academy. Um, it probably is a prep school because that's that that's if you're an academy, that's what they call it, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but apparently, uh, um, the the director Alexander Payne, whom we have covered before mm-hmm. in when we did the film Election. Mm-hmm. Um, whom I will not get back into my beef with. Um, <laughs> he was not really happy with all of the traditional casting auditions. Um, and they decided to look at drama departments from the area to see, to basically just do an open audition, open call. Um, I, I've heard that as one particular, uh, um, one particular story. The other story I heard was that um, Paul Giamatti himself takes credit for getting uh, Dominic Sessa cast as Angus. Um, saying that he insisted Alexander Payne give him an audition after, um, you know, Payne was like, well, this kid has never acted before. Why would we cast him or whatever? So I've heard both, and I don't think each can be true, but there's a little mythology about how this kid got his first role. All that to say he did a great job. He was really good as that character. No, he did a good job. I, You know what? I always... Um... 
I, I, I always like forget it in the moment and then you have to sort of go back. It's when, when characters or when actors do an especially good job of making you kind of hate them. Mm-hmm. And in the moment I'm, I'm just thinking like, Oh, I hate this kid. Right. And then you sort of have to step away and be like, obviously he was playing a character. Right. He did a great job of yeah. making me hate him. Yes. He seems very snotty, very like, you know, uh, sarcastic, very abrasive. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But, um, and it was funny because like, you were like, I think uh, the teacher, Paul Hunnam, is such an asshole. And this kid is also such an asshole. And like, everybody's kind of being like an asshole. I'm like, yeah, wouldn't it be uh, unfortunate if they all got stuck together <laughs> over a two week period? Right. It's like, wouldn't that create some hilarious hijinks to make a movie about? Right. Well, I mean, I think I like my, my full thought was uh, Paul Giamatti's character is an asshole and also correct. He's also right. Yeah. He's also correct in his assessment of these students in yes. his, not his treatment of these students necessarily, but in the expectations that he has for them. He's yes. not wrong. And, and you know, could he, could he go about it in a more pleasant way? Even a more effective way. Yeah. Right. Sure. Absolutely. But his, um, his esteem for these kind of shitty kids is correct. Yeah. So basically, he failed a kid. This is, so the reason he was selected to be held over and right. be the the teacher looking after all the other kids who were staying behind um, is because he failed a senator's son from his class, and uh, he goes into the the headmaster's office to talk to him about you know being held over and about this partic- particular incident with the kid, and he's like, "Look, these kids are born on third base." Uh, and have never worked for a thing in their life. Mm-hmm. Aren't we supposed to raise the kinds of of people who work hard for what they get, who earn what they what they their their lot in life? Aren't we supposed to create the academic rigor necessary and reward them only for the times that they succeed? And the headmaster's like, no, we're 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 not. We're supposed to get this place financed by rich senators or whatever. That was the sort of back and forth between the two. Right. And even though Giamatti's character is a very very uh, self-important dick in this situation. Right. He's, to your point, not wrong. He's not wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, um, I'm sure that the politics of funding a school mm-hmm. like that are very different than the actual, like, on the ground teaching mm. of the kids. But yeah. it's a weird thing to me to think that I'm this person who is a senator or, or whatever, and I'm trying to raise a resilient per- new generation in my family. Yeah. And I want them to just skate by because of who I am, as opposed to making actual grades. That like they I deserve. want them to be strong, important people, but I can't let them fail anything. Right. right. Do Do we ever see the senator's son? By the way, or no. is it only ever mentioned off? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just backstory. Gotcha. Which is Which is fine. We don't need to know anything more, I guess, about the situation. It's not like we need to like see the see the slacker senator's son walking by in the hallway or anything. And we get enough of that by proxy because there are some other characters that we're exposed to specifically um, one guy whose name I forget, but he's kind of like a, a long haired, uh, not, not, not the football player, but like the sort of scraggly haired jerk. Who's the, the nemesis of Tully. Mm -hmm. Um, He is there. So basically there are five kids being held over um, over the holiday at the school. Um, There are two, one kid who's a Mormon uh, one kid who is from Korea, a football player, this other jerk kid, and then Tully. And they're there for like the first 45 minutes of the movie before the football player's 
dad sends a helicopter to whisk all of them away <laughs> skiing, except, of course, for uh, Dominic Sessa's character, Tully, right. who has to stay with his teacher and and um, and Mary. Yeah. So, yeah. In terms of casting, I think that they did a very good job of casting people who I, I, uh, I heard this in in one of the articles or, oh. or one of the interviews that we that we I listened to one time for this podcast, which is you want to be able to select people who look like they would exist in a world together. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. And so you don't want to select somebody who looks like uh, Olivia Rodrigo. Right. Right. Who is like like or somebody who looks like um um Olivia Wilde. I'm just going to name yeah, Olivia's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you don't want to. There sele- are no Olivia's in this movie. Yeah. You don't want to select somebody who looks like Olivia Wilde right. necessarily in a cast with somebody who looks like Paul Giamatti because he looks like a real person. Yeah. He looks like an everyday person that you would see on the street, and she looks like a fantastical creature yeah. that comes from outer space. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like she's just too beautiful. That's right. Um, and I think that they do a good job of casting people who just look like people you would see on the street. Three. Largely people who are you, character actors, right? So right. Paul Giamatti, uh, notorious character actor, only occasionally a lead. Right. Um, he was a lead in like a TV show, Billions. Um, but or John Adams, right? He was John Adams, yeah. But he also, um, I think his his last major leading role was also for Alexander Payne. Do you know the film I am referring to? Mm. He is not drinking any fucking Merlot. Uh, the um, Sideways? Yeah, very good. Okay. Also nominated for five Academy Awards, I think. Okay. Yeah. So that was so long ago. I, I was, honestly didn't yeah. remember that he was in it. I was just thinking of that, like Thomas. Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah. Hayden nominated Church for Best Supporting Actor that year. Yep. There you go. Yeah. And I get, well, he was, so he was leading actor for that. Giamatti was, yeah. In my mind, Thomas Hayden Church was. I don't believe so. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that the, it, like he's the one who stands out to me from that cast. But, That's fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, the one who stands out is Sandra Oh, but she's so good. She was very good in that movie. It's the only reason I watched that movie and I, I didn't really like it, but that's another story. Um, so yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention was that this film, so unlike Sideways, uh, which was written um, also by uh, Alexander Payne, uh, the screenplay was, he was mm-hmm. nominated for best screenplay uh, for that film. Um, this one, the Alexander Payne had the idea for it, but he did not write it himself. Okay. Uh, so he, in having the idea, reached out to a writer. A fellow's name was, uh, sorry, David Hemmingson. Okay. And David Hemmingson took a pass, did the first write of the screenplay. Mm-hmm. I think Payne probably adjusted it, of course, on set and with the actors involved. But mm-hmm. screenplay credit for its, um, you know, for awards purposes and whatever, goes to uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Hemmingson. I keep wanting to say Hemingway, so I have to keep looking back at it. Um, but you will know the works of Mr. Hemmingson because pri- this is his first produced screenplay for for a film. Uh-huh. He was previous to this a television writer. I would like to list some of the TV series that he has written on because I believe you've probably seen all of the ones I'm about to mention. Okay. This is not his entire filmography, but oh, okay. um, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Okay. Hercules, the TV series. Yeah. Just Shoot Me. Yes. Uh, Kitchen Confidential. I don't, we talked about that. I don't know if you'd seen it before, but I've seen quite a bit of it. It's Bradley Cooper playing Anthony Bourdain. Yes. I think I was like, no, I've never seen it. And now you're saying it again and I'm not in a haze. And yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen most of it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, How I Met Your Mother. Yep. American Dad. 
Don't, <laughs> don't trust the B in apartment 23. Yeah. Blackish. Yep. Uh, there was apparently a TV series called Uncle Buck, one called The Catch, and one called Whiskey Cavalier. Those he all uh, wrote. Whiskey Cavalier he created. Those are just the most recent. Was Uncle Buck based off of the film? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it was very poorly reviewed and canceled after one season. Sure. But, but the, the really common- Really the buck on that one. Hey, uh, boo. The, the, <laughs> the common sort of you know takeaway from all those lists of things is A, comedies. Yeah. So this guy's a comedy writer. I think largely that's why this film is billed as a comedy. Um, but also they're the types of comedy that tend to have some level of sentimentality. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, even back to like Adventures of Pete and Pete, right? Oh yeah. It wasn't just slapsticky. There was like some heart and connection and mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of pathos in those. Like How I Met Your Mother had some schmaltzy moments. Um, you know, same thing with Blackish. Like they, um, those TV shows kind of, to me, frame his writing around laughs, but also having human connections that relate that relate the characters together. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I really liked the, I, I really liked the writing of this. I think that everything in the script did a good job of setting things up. What was there was one point in the film where they were at the party, and I was like, "Well, I think it's time for them to all leave." Yeah. <laughs> yes, and uh, and Dominic Sessa immediately walks out, and he's like, "We have to go." <laughs> <laughs> and and you rightfully pointed out, you're like, "See, the writer did a good job yeah. there." Yeah, and so I, I think he did a really good job with the script, especially seeing it the second time. Um, that he sets up a lot of things through conversation, right? That um, you will catch later, but you don't know in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like when the first time I watched it, I didn't notice um, Paul Giamatti's character has a lazy eye, right? I didn't notice that until like halfway through the movie. What? I, I just wasn't paying attention to it. Yeah, I was, I was you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, I don't judge people by the way they look. Well, okay. No, okay. But before we even see them, I think one of the other teachers was like, oh, walleye. Will yes. Take I didn't know it. what that meant. Oh, okay. And so I, I was just like, all right, fine. But to your point, mm. they do use that phrase, both him and the teacher. And, and the kids. And the kids yeah. and, and whatever. And so, you know, they're setting up that stuff. They're setting up the stuff about the kid of privilege early mm-hmm. on and how that's going to impact, you know, the his, the relationship of him to other kids. Right. Um. And then even at the very beginning of the movie, it opens up with what seems like something that's not connected, but it's a choir practicing, Mm -hmm. all singing together in unison, using their voice for one common purpose. Mm -hmm. And it's like the idea of this, you know, preparatory school, right? It's like, you're all in uniforms, you're all moving towards the quote unquote same goal. We're all, you know, sort of, uh, like you said, um, dead poet society, right? Right. We're all locked into this sort of conformity. Mm -hmm. And the characters in this film are not that, right? The, the three people we care about are not conformists. Like they're, they may be smart, they may be hardworking, they may be really invested and in, in good at what they do, but they're just not conforming to the expectations of them. And now they're all put together. Well, I mean, not only are they not conforming to the expectations, but they are not, um, they are outsiders of the in-group, right? Yeah, they yeah, are not right. allowed to be within those expectations. Yeah. So Mary Lamb obviously mm-hmm. is a black woman who's working in a service position or, you know, working yeah. as like in the in the kitchens, but even her son, um, who we meet, you know that the the son of somebody who works in the kitchen who is going to this elite preparatory preparatory school yeah. is is also going to be an outsider within that. Like yeah. they are, she is a, a 
she is the help right. within this scenario. Yeah. And Paul Giamatti's character is also similarly somebody who got there on a scholarship. Yeah. And again, her, so we don't meet her son. Her son is dead uh, prior to the beginning of the movie. Right. It's, it's backstory. He went to the school, Barton, um, because she worked there. Right. Uh, but that did not prevent him from being drafted to go serve in Vietnam. Right. Um, and so he was sent to Vietnam where he was killed. And we are are starting the film um, as these kids are leaving on winter vacation um, at, at, with a um, what, what's it called where they all attend the church mass. It wasn't mass. It was something else, but it doesn't matter. They were all in the church area and we see a memorial for him there. And they call out, you know, her um, as part of their sort of quote unquote community. But again, as someone who works there, not as like a member of the upper class, which they are. So you can see how, even though they may make these sort of um, you know, motions and say, oh, you know, you're one of us sort of. Right. They still keep people at an arm's length if they don't fit within that conformist view. Right. Yeah. And I think that even, you know, even the kid, Tully, is somebody who we find out later it has been moved around to a lot of schools. Yeah, this is his third third school and if he gets kicked out here the stakes are he will go to military academy if he goes to a military academy he is likely to be sent to vietnam right so it's interesting because i think that they set his character up when you first meet him as being maybe like a goody two-shoes or something because he gets the highest grade that's returned in that class like my first impression of him was like oh he's just one of the snotty kids at this school he got the highest grade he's a you know yeah he's a and he's preparing to go to st kitt's Right. Yeah. He's a he's a he's a somebody who is an achiever and he's like a rich kid mm-hmm. who's gonna go on vacation yeah. uh with his family. And then as you learn more about his backstory, I think it's like, oh, he actually is probably a new kid at this school. Yeah. And he's probably trying very hard to keep his grades up so he doesn't get kicked out. Yeah. And his mom does not care. Uh, and his mom is prioritizing her new husband over him. There's all sorts of things that make him more of a misfit outsider yeah. than what your initial impression of him is. Yeah. And and he's a much more sympathetic character on the second watch. Right. So he you'll notice that like his first instinct is not to push people's buttons. His first instinct, even the, the first time we see uh, him sort of push back against an authority figure is um, everybody kind of failed their final in Hunnam's class, mm-hmm. except for him, but he just turns his test over and just doesn't mention it. Right. But um, Hunnam's like, okay, you know, you can have a makeup exam, but it's going to cover new material, bring your textbooks with you on vacation. We're doing chapter six and also the other stuff. It'll be a different test, blah, blah. And he he's like, sir, I don't think that's actually fair. Like he's pitching a case, right? Like right. He's saying, he just like, doesn't want to hear a new lecture at that moment. Well, yeah, yeah. But he's like, look, it's not really like he, he's being nice about it. Like, not nice, but like he's like being reasonable. He's saying, like, look, I think you're being outside the bounds of what's expected. We're leaving here in 40 minutes. We don't really have time for a new lecture. We just we're all exhausted and we just need 40 minutes to to collect our heads and do the test when we come back and all that stuff. Um, to which Hanum does not reply well. Mm responds with a threat and then when he's pushed back against he has like a sarcastic quip or something shitty to say in return right so it's it's almost not his first instinct 
but it's definitely his like defense mechanism. Right, right. I I think that you know, the idea of hurt people hurt people mm-hmm. really comes in. This kid is much. clearly got a lot going on underneath the surface and that's where the you know, when I say oh, his um the the um Paul Giamatti's character's uh, estimation of these kids is is correct. It's like that's also not necessarily being fair as well because every single one of these kids that's coming here comes from probably I mean maybe a privileged background but yeah. they've also got their own things going on behind the scenes of whatever expectations that they have or whatever way that they've been raised that maybe hasn't been the most um you know uh, hands on. Yeah. yeah. Um I mean, these and, are kids who've all been shipped away. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. And this kid is is no different. He's been abandoned here when he thought he was going to get to go see his mom. And then we find out later, later on in the film that he's also essentially lost his father um, to mental illness. Um, And he is kind of all alone. And so he's lashing out because he doesn't have any kind of an emotional support system to, to help him through this time. Yeah. But that's what, uh, you know, the the process of the movie is about, or the, the, the narrative of the movie is about is, him becoming closer to uh, Hunnam, them seeing each other as as real humans rather than sort of the character caricatures of themselves that they are, um, and as well as um, the same thing for Mary, right? Not necessarily like disregarding her as someone who is, you know, um, sort of stoic and 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 fine and just a non playable character in our universe, right? Right. But she's a real person who struggles in ways that they are not. Um, capable of fully, you know, understanding. Right. Um, and so there's a moment at that party that you mentioned where you're like, we should leave <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that Mary's um, grief boils over and she experiences sort of that full weight of losing a son. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's where I think where they, that's the moment they sort of all see each other. Yeah. Right. No, absolutely. Well, speaking of other toxic behavior, Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, coming to light. Cool. Good transition. Yep. Yeah. Um, I have another news story for you. Hit me. That has to do with the wintertime, uh, which has to do with some uh, environmental fuckery in Texas. Oh, of course it does. <laughs> so apparently, according to a news article, Texas companies reported releasing um, more than a million pounds of excess pollution during their recent cold snap. Hmm. Great. Great. Is that all like just carbon or is that? Oh, no, it's a it's a lot of things. Give me the list. Um, Well, I mean, there were so there were at least 36 instances of unintentional admission emissions uh, that were that were released. And it it sort of depends on the plant that you're talking about. Um, But but basically between January 14th and January 17th, there was Mm -hmm. a four day cold snap in Texas. Okay, And um, they released a. A billion pounds of whatever in four a, days? A million pounds. A million, yeah, that's awesome. Of air pollution. <laughs> um, and and basically, it is not even that much compared to, I guess, the amount of pollution that is overall mm-hmm. released by factories. Okay, cool. Um, not cool. <laughs> but more importantly, what it does is it, it basically illustrates the sensitivity that um, it illustrates the loopholes uh-huh. that are available to companies gotcha. and to factories because of 
uh, extreme weather. Okay. So there are these environmental loopholes in federal and state laws that allow companies to basically disregard permitted limits of emissions and allow them to get around like the Clean Air Act, which says that you have to meet these emission standards at all times, but then you have these state level loopholes that say, but if it's cold and you got a and, and you got yeah, an yeah, yeah. potential emergency, yeah. then you can release these chemicals. So one example, for instance, is the Formosa Plastics Corporation, which burned off a large volume of ethylene. Just because they could, because it was cold. Because it's cold. Yeah. So they they did something that's called um flaring. Oh, which 37 is, pieces, right? <laughs> what? Yes, exactly. Um, which is the process of burning unwanted gas to relieve pressure. And uh, it, basically what they had said is that there was an offline pipe that would usually be the place where they would dispose of this product. And mm-hmm. that because the pipe was offline down the like down the process or whatever of of how they would get rid of this gas that they had to get rid of it some way. And so they did what they call flaring. Right. Um, And basically they estimated that they released, um, that they released about 68,000 pounds of this unburned ethylene um, over 24 hours, which is 79 times the permitted limit. And then another flare was for an estimated 38,000 pounds of ethylene, which was almost 500 times the permitted limit at that point. And so Formosa blamed the weather um, and they basically uh, released almost 250 tons of air pollution um, for uh, of more than 40 different chemicals on January 17th. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) That's that. I mean, I don't fully understand why we don't think a little bit further ahead when we put these regulations in place. Right. Like like to say like, oh, if it's cold and you have to burn things in order to keep people warm, you are allowed this additional amount, not like an unlimited amount. Right. It's a weird thing because it's like the, obviously you don't want to have an explosion yeah. at these companies, but it also just feels like, oh, the weather's dipped below a certain amount. Wink, wink. We can just sort of do it. Like, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Right. It seems like a lobbyist was definitely like, we know that uh, this means six times a year we're going to be able to burn off all of our chemicals. Right. There was another example of the Eastman Chemical Company in Longview, Texas, that um, had an open hatch on their storage storage tank that was leaking benzene and couldn't be shut. Oh. Benzene is a cancer-causing chemical of which there is no safe limit. That's exactly right. Um, When it's inhaled in large quantities over a short period of time, it can affect the central nervous system. It can cause central, uh, it can cause symptoms that include dizziness, rapid heart rate, headaches. And apparently they said due to icy weather and conditions and other safety concerns, um, they had to, uh, they were unable to close that hatch and, and it just escaped. I feel like that's, I mean, that can't be true. <laughs> like, it's a hatch, man. Yeah. Figure it out. One more example. You only got duct tape? <laughs> they sent motherfuckers to the moon by duct taping Apollo 13 together. Y'all can figure it out. Yeah. Well, the one final example that I'll give you, which I feel like typifies a lot of the reason that these environmental mishaps 
um, are so especially uh, infuriating yeah. is uh, ExxonMobil has a Beaumont plant that had more than 2,000 pounds each of benzene and uh, something called 1,3-butadien, butadien, okay. which uh, I guess for these chemicals, more than 1,000 pounds is apparently a problem yeah. if you're going to release it into the air. And um, gases like these um, linger apparently in the air longer during cold weather. So it's not only mm. that it's released into the air, but the cold weather causes it to stick around much longer. Um, and apparently more than 4,000 people live w- live within two miles of this plant. Yeesh. And 88% of them are people right. of color. Of course. Yeah, that's that's the always the next step. Right. It's yeah. the the people who are going to be the most affected by these kinds of flares or releases of chemicals into the air are going to be people who don't have enough money to live somewhere else. Yep. And a lot of times in America, those are people of color. Yep. Great. Well, so. uh, that is real. That's real. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what else is real? Yeah. What? All the locations in the film. <laughs> Sure. So it's not that just, just in terms of production. Yeah. Was shot on location in real areas um, in and around Massachusetts. And there were no sound stages, anything like that. It's very rare that you get to shoot all on location anymore. Um, and filmmakers don't particularly like to do it because they like to have cameras flying in and out of places and they don't want to have to worry about sticking things in certain locations. And these were real schools, real ten, uh, real um, candle pin bowling alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, real liquor stores. <laughs> I mean, it was clearly a real candle pin bowling alley, and and based off of the candle pin bowling alleys that I have been to, <laughs> they probably didn't have to do a whole lot to make it look like the 1970s. Yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> I, when I was teaching in Boston, um, we would do candle pin bowling. Yeah, as like a group activity for all for all the students and kids, uh, for all the kids and uh, and and teachers. Yeah. And the the bowling alley has not changed. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing has changed about the Candlepin bowling alley that we would go to um, in in Boston in fifty years. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, I like it. I like. I love it. it. I love having some some things. It's like, look, there is an aesthetic we're going for. We, oh, yeah. we, we hit it <laughs> fifty years ago. So we're all oh set. yeah, absolutely. No, I, I that's not surprising. And then also, I think there was a moment where I was like, is this where they also filmed? girl interrupted because the i think just one of the offices that the teacher was in just looked like one of the offices that was in that film but i think it's just again it's just that style of like the northeast well and also the they have a point where at a certain they say they're cutting off all of the heat to the dormitories and the teacher housing yeah and so they all have to sleep in the infirmary Mm -hmm. so it does kind of have that like being institutionalized feel right um so uh, I think we're we're sort of winding down on both news and film. Is that right? Do you have any more news? Do I have any more news? No, I think that's about yeah. it. The only other thing I wanted to mention was uh, the the team who shot the film yeah. was elated, so happy to find out that when they were about to start production, there had just been a massive snowstorm. And so oh, yeah. everything that they shot that was exterior, they shot as quickly as possible on those first few days of filming because it was all real snow. They didn't have to bring in, you know, fake snow or anything like that. So No, I mean, it, it looked real. It yeah. looked gorgeous and beautiful. Yeah. It's interesting, the feel of the film as I was watching it. Um, I, I think that it 
the the feel reminds me of a mix between Wes Anderson, mm, like a very muted Wes Anderson, like an and, early Wes Anderson, like a Rushmore maybe. Yeah, and The Shining. Could see a little bit of that Shining. Yeah, it's got like a very like Wes Anderson meets The Shining feel to it when I when I was watching it. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like a lot of seventies movies. I think. Yeah. Uh, From my perspective, Harold and Maude being uh, one that's like. A touch point, I think, mm-hmm. for this specifically. Um, I, I also, um, you know, we we talked about um, that. You know, this has been nominated for five Academy Awards, so mm-hmm. we don't need to get into like the reception. Like, obviously, people like it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but people have sort of adopted it into their Christmas film canon. Um, okay. Alexander Payne does not like that framing because he's like, it's just a good movie. It's not a Christmas movie, especially. Right. But it takes place over Christmas. There's a Christmas tree. You know, it's about family in, in one way or another. Gifts and, are given. Yeah. Gifts are given. And, uh, you know, it's about the family that you make, not the family that you're born into. So there's certainly some of that, you know, messaging that can be applied to the Christmas season. So um, <laughs> there was an interview with uh, Paul Giamatti and Divine Joy Randolph where she was like, um, She's like, you know, if you're an actor, you got to get a Christmas movie because those checks keep coming like, every year. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Yeah. You know, I, I, it, it's so hard to know how a film is going to age. Yeah, yeah. In the in the cultural zeitgeist. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if this is a film that people continue to come back to. Yep. After after just this season. Yeah. Um, but. It, I mean, it does have a Christmassy kind of feel, you know, it's sure. not obviously intended to be yeah. a Christmas movie, but yeah. if you make a film around Christmas, it's just going to get adopted. I mean, people are going to call it a Christmas movie. They call Die Hard a Christmas movie. And so they're going to call this one a Christmas movie. It's just like, if it takes place during the season, people adopt it. It's just how it goes. People call the sound of music a Christmas movie. Because the song is kind of. It's about thing. giving gifts. I guess. Uh, anyway, the film was acquired for $30 million by Focus Features, owned by Universal, which is why it's on Peacock. Mm-hmm. Um, and its gross worldwide theatrical revenue was $31.7 million. Okay. So um, that, along with digital, along with streaming, all that stuff, they're probably probably in the in the black. So good job, everybody involved. Yeah. Keep making movies like this. Mid-budget movies. I was going to say mid-budget film with yeah. good writing. Good writing. Um, great acting in the awards conversation, but also profitable. Like we can do it guys. Let's keep it going. (laughs) Like, and and that brings me back to my, like when you said this is a comedy, like that, that was my thought too. I'm like, there are humorous moments, but it's not a straight up, like, you know, knee slapper comedy film. Right. In the way that some others this year have been. So I was just like, I think this is just what we call a, a movie. It's got drama. It's got comedy. It's got some heart to it. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, you know, it's got tension in certain moments like that. There's just, it's, it's just a movie doing its thing. And I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit in spite of myself. In spite of yourself? Yeah. You know, I still got beef with. Oh, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I got, I, I gotcha. Yeah. I was like, why in spite of yourself? But yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, I guess that makes sense. Um, I, no, I I enjoyed it quite a bit. I it was nice to go in really not knowing a ton yeah. about it. Yeah. Um and not really knowing who the main cast were going to end up being. Yep. 
you know, when all those kids got whisked away on the helicopter, I was like, oh, okay. All right. So this is what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. I was glad. I was glad when that happened. I was like, I didn't know all these people were going to be in the movie. I got to keep track of all their stories. Yeah. Nope. And it's a smart, it's a smart move to whittle the cast down to just three main people to to have to care about. Yeah. It's also a smart move not to do it too early though. Cause then you're like, what are we going to do with all these, with only three characters? There's, we kind of might wear out our welcome, but if you have the first 45 minutes, of establishing their uh, those three characters' personalities in relation to a larger group. Right. When that group disappears, you, we now know who our main three characters are more fully. Right. And so we don't need to have that sort of handholding in the storytelling. We can just have the the interplay be the focus. Right. I think it's also, um, I mean, again, a credit to the writing that when they get whisked away, it's yeah. kind of a surprise, and and you sort of say to yourself, like, oh, I mean. It, I could have learned to care about any of these characters that are yeah. now gone, right? They, the, the the writer did a good job setting up each character as being, establishing each character as being this sort of fully fleshed out feeling person yep. that has a backstory and we might be learning about it yep. or maybe they're just going to go skiing. <laughs> right, right. That's right. Um, so before we end, mm-hmm. I, I want to do something on the next three episodes at the end of the episodes, mm. um, just to to comment on a few movies that were not nominated for Academy Awards. Honorable mention. But were also really great from yeah. last year. Or not, maybe not great, but like at least worth discussion, maybe seeing if you are interested, right? Okay. Because we're shining a lot of light on movies that are already in the premiere uh, position, yeah. you know, in the Oscars. But there are some others that might be worth seeing for people. Uh, the first is, if you are interested in another movie about high-class folks in a preparatory academy... You can check out Saltburn, which is available on Amazon Prime. And if you're looking for slightly offbeat movies about an older person who may have something underneath uh, the or behind the scenes going on, you can check out May December by Todd Haynes, starring Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman and Charles Melton. Um, it it uh, was it is nominated for uh, best screenplay. But that is the only nomination it got in spite of having some pretty amazing performances. Um, it's a weird one. So just go in knowing it's a weird one. Same with Saltburn. It's a weird one. Yeah. Um, you could also check out uh, Nicolas Cage in Dream Scenario as a kind of an old curmudgeon who has some weird things happen to him. So those are some additional films that you could check out if you are so inclined to expand on uh, what you're going into. I was trying to figure out who Charles Melton was. Yeah. He's and- from Riverdale. Yeah, well, yeah. no, I recognized his face, and I was like, "How do I know this person?" <laughs> uh, and yeah, he plays Reggie in in Riverdale. Uh, so, so yeah, no, I haven't seen that film, but uh, but I do know of that person. Yep. So, um, I mean, he was close to a best uh, best actor nomination. Or, sorry, best supporting actor nomination. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that uh, award is going to go to someone we will talk about later on in this series, but. Uh, Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening (laughs) to this episode. It's a little teaser. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, That's right. You can find us on uh, threads, I guess, and Instagram. We are at the Crosscut Pod. That's right. We're not anywhere else yet. No. Maybe we will be. I don't know. If if, uh, X gets sold because Elon can't pay his bills, then maybe we'll rejoin when they start calling it Twitter again. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe X is going to give it to you. What... DMX reference? No, I know. Okay. All right. (laughs) Uh, Bye, everybody. Hey, we kept it under an hour. Good for us. Hooray. Bye. Bye.